It's time to take a colorblind test on this episode of Pushback. If you're concerned about the direction our culture is heading, then maybe it's time to push back. Hello and greetings, everyone. This is Dr. Johnny, and this is another episode of Pushback. Uh, I'm coming to you on a cold and frosty day here in central Minnesota in the middle of February. Uh, Although us Minnesotans can't really complain. It's been a generally mild winter, uh, and uh, usually in January and February, we, we expect several below zero temperature days, uh, but this week was the first time all winter that we've experienced that. Uh, so we're going to have several days of sort of, of Arctic uh, cold air blowing down on us from Canada, and then uh, and then it'll be March, and hopefully things will start melting and and showing signs of spring again. So uh, we're coming here with uh, cold fingertips, but uh, overall feeling pretty good about ourselves. Uh, I thank you so much for your input again, as we've been talking about the vaccines over the last several weeks. Uh, I've gotten such incredible feedback, um, wonderfully crafted, honoring questions, which is exactly my heart and was hoping that would be the case. Tina writes to me, thank you for your voice on this topic. Conversations can get pretty interesting on the COVID-19 vaccine. I also have had the stance that nothing should be done out of fear. I spent much time in prayer and did research for myself and had complete peace when I received the vaccine series. I value your podcast as a trusted resource regarding this topic. Thank you, Tina. I appreciate your feedback. And that is my heart is not to just tell you what to do or to make you feel guilty about a decision one way or the other, but for you to do your research on yourself, make an informed decision for you and your family. And, uh, and then find that peace about your decision, uh, never being pushed through a filter of fear. Uh, Allison uh, wrote, thank you so much, Dr. Johnny, for sharing your wisdom and research on the vaccine. It is a much needed perspective in Christian circles. I can't tell you the number of conversations and messages I've received from well-meaning friends and neighbors who are really just spreading fear and shaky information. My husband and I are getting so much from your podcast. Thank you and God bless you. Allison, that is so wonderful to hear, and thank you for your feedback. It encourages me so much. And once again, this is my perspective uh, from my experience in medicine and uh, and decisions that I'm making for my own family. But I love having discussions about this, and I appreciate uh, that we're connecting with so many people. I had the privilege last night of going on a date with my daughter. Uh, my Maggie just turned 16, and it's been tradition in the Claussen family that uh, the uh, dad takes the daughters out on dates and the mom takes the boys out on dates uh, when it's their birthday. And so my sweet Maggie uh, turned sweet 16, and so we went out on a date last night. And uh, Maggie is such a, a sweet, wise, uh, has wonderful perspective on things, and we, we often see life through a very similar lens. So she probably could sit down and do push back with Maggie. <laughs> it would probably sound very familiar to what you're hearing from me. Uh, we had a great time last night and, and, and we discussed so many issues. And as you know, as you can tell uh, from my podcast, it's so many issues, so little time. Uh, I have so many things I want to talk about, but had a chance 
chance to talk with her and, and our conversation turned to racial issues. And it was such an important conversation to have with my daughter, uh, as well as just have with all of our children, because this is uh, affecting our society and our culture today. And we as Christian families, we set the culture. So we need to understand what's going on and have real conversations with our children. I was amazed at how fluent and uh, how wise my 16-year-old was about this issue. And uh, we were able to have a really good, meaningful conversation about this. Um, I would ask you to reference some of my old podcasts. Uh, the answer is black and white. Uh, and maybe one of my most important podcasts from season one called The Brown Initiative. If you've never heard that or listened to that one, I encourage you just to go back and listen to that and allow me to give you my perspective uh, regarding race. And we'll talk a little bit more about that of course, during this podcast. Uh, and uh, we need to keep talking about this. This is one of the things that Maggie and I discussed last night is the, the frustration there must be for those who feel disenfranchised or, or, or feel that there has not been equity or fairness in our society. The frustration that must be there when things happen. There is an event uh, that, that raises all of these concerns and then it just kind of drifts away. And we stop talking about it until the next event happens. And then we talk about it again and we all get uncomfortable and don't know what to say and, to, and hope it drifts away. And then it does. And then we wait till the next event happens. That's not how real change, that's not how real cultural change takes place. It takes place when we are being proactive and continue to put these topics at the forefront, which is my heart for this podcast, of course. Now, of course, I have this perspective, and you've heard it before, that I think the least racist position to be in is to recognize that there are no races. We know that the Bible actually stands behind that, but we also know that science stands behind that, as they did the Human Genome Project, expecting to find uh, genetic evidence of five to six different races and found out that there is just one race, the human race. And how things can change by the way that we talk and speak and interact with each other when we see each other as just Americans. See, because I believe that this is an American problem. And when we see each other as Americans, then we see each other as fellow citizens. And if our fellow citizens are hurting or in pain, then it becomes all of our problem. And that is what we're after. That is what we're after, is trying to connect with each other over these sources of pain. I have volunteered to serve on what's called the Health Equity Committee at our hospital that I work at. And I want to be super clear that as I go forward with this podcast that I am not speaking on behalf of anybody in that committee or the hospital that I represent or work for. Um, I just want to give you my perspective on an event that happened this week. During this health committee, uh, health equity committee meeting, that we had, uh, a topic came up about a, a letter that was being proposed that we send to the governor of Minnesota. And it's a letter from a health equity standpoint and very specifically in regards to the rollout of the vaccine. So it ties many different topics that we've been talking about here on Pushback. And I, I want to just speak about speaking about it. Speak about speaking about it. That's what we need to do. And so this, this letter came up and, and, and it was sent to all of us on our inbox so that we could read it and give our perspective and give it the thumbs up if, if it was cool that we send that to the governor uh, as a sign of solidarity about what we were doing as a group. Um, it's important uh, that we, as I mentioned in my previous podcast just last week, 
uh, just two weeks ago called Woke Up and Smell the Coffee, that we need to be socially aware. And that is why I'm excited to be on this committee and been asked to be on this committee, because it's about being socially aware, aware and understanding what is happening. We're a little isolated out in the country in Staples, Minnesota. And yet, we can be on the forefront. We can be the, on the cutting edge of, of health equity, making sure that there's equal access and, and abilities for people to access the health care. And so it's important that we become socially aware for me and for my family and for my country and also for my podcast. <laughs> I, I like being on this committee because I, I want to know what is happening in our culture and the way that we interact with our culture. Well, I had an opportunity this week to put my money where my mouth is, to be able to talk about something as a valuable member of a committee, not just blindly agree to something, but also not rant and rave about something, but respond with honor. So this is the proposed letter to the governor. I'm just going to read a few paragraphs and and just sort of recap this and, and tell you my perspective. Uh, this is to Governor Tim Walls, as, as, as well as to many other uh, uh, political leaders of our state. It says, Minnesota's COVID-19 vaccination strategy needs a heavy dose of racial and health equity. In the wake of emerging evidence about inequities through the Phase 1A and 1B rollout, Minnesota's leaders must recognize that our distribution plans and outcomes directly reflect our implicit and explicit valuation of equity. Second paragraph. Efficiency and speed cannot stand as excuses to push equity aside. Our overemphasis on urgency has contributed to colorblind vaccination strategies, which reinforce, rather than combat, the disparate harms of structural racism evident throughout this pandemic. And then interestingly, this letter goes on uh, and, and does list probably seven or eight real reasonable recommendations in regards to perpetuating health equity throughout our state. The concern I had really was with paragraph number two and this issue of throwing the word racist and racism into a paragraph. And I, I, I question uh, the, the issue of colorblindness it's interesting. When did colorblindness become a bad thing? See, I have two issues with colorblindness. My first issue is that I am colorblind. <laughs> and I don't mean that from a racial standpoint. I mean that from a genetic standpoint. I am literally colorblind. Actually, technically, colorblindness is actually seeing black and white only. So I'm actually technically color deficient, meaning I have difficulty distinguishing colors. Um, which maybe is a prophetic act of something that I'm standing for in regards to racial issues as well. I can share with you sort of a traumatic childhood experience that I had. I'm sure all of you are aware of colorblind tests, and they're kind of the the color dots that you see on the page, and almost every one of us have had to take them at times. And they've always been very anxiety-provoking for me as someone who was colorblind because I knew I wouldn't be able to read whatever the letter, number, word on this picture. And so they would put it in front of me, and I would just see nothing. And, uh, of course, I had to explain to them that I already knew I was colorblind and uh, spent most of my uh, early childhood and into my teenage years taking these tests and not knowing anything that they said. (laughs) 
Well, one day I was in science class and uh, the teacher went up and said, you know, was talking about genetics and was talking about colorblindness. And so she, she lifted up this picture of a colorblind test, the color dots that we're all familiar with. And it was a miracle because I could read it. I remember that it said something like bird. There was a word written on it and I could read it. So either I was healed or <laughs> something else was going on. And so they, she said, is anybody in the room colorblind? Of course, I sheepishly raised my hand and she said, can you read the word? And not wanting to ruin her experiment that she was doing, I said, you know what? I, I actually can't read it. And the word is bird. And of course, everybody in the class laughed. And the reason is this particular test that she used had one word for people who were color sighted and somebody who was colorblind would see a different word, like the word bird. And so I, <laughs> I said the word bird, all my classmates laughed at me and I'm still telling the story, you know, some 40 years later because of the trauma <laughs> that occurred that day. Actually, it was okay. I'm okay. Uh, but I thought for just a split second, that maybe my colorblindness was gone. Oh, well, that's my one colorblind story. My second colorblind story is the issue of race. And I, I, you've heard my position on this, that if we really believe that there is no races, and we truly understand this idea of melatonin in our skin, that we, every human being who is on the face of the earth, is a different shade of brown. It's a different shade of brown. There is no red, yellow, black, and white. None of those colors really exist, even from a scientific standpoint, even from a dermatologic standpoint. And so we can truly be, if we understand science, and we as Christians embrace the Bible that understand that we are all descendants of Adam and ultimately Noah, then we know that we're all one race. And I think colorblindness is a completely applicable goal for us as a society. So I had an opportunity to respond to this letter, and I was concerned because I'm, I'm very grateful to be on this committee, and I don't want to be the one that is a dissenter, or especially when it comes to race issues, because hopefully you know my heart. My heart is to bring healing and health to race issues. And so I also felt like the second paragraph was inflammatory, and I felt like I needed to respond to that so that we as a group could be unified and respond to what our mission truly is. So I'd like to just read to you my response that I wrote uh, to this committee. I wrote, I know that signing this letter is time sensitive, so I wanted to quickly offer my perspective. I agree with the fundamental issues of the letter and any action that addresses health equity is and should be the main focus of our group. My concern is the second paragraph. And I quote this and say, efficiency and speed cannot stand as excuses uh, to push aside, to push equity aside. Our overemphasis on urgency has contributed to colorblind vaccination strategies, which reinforce rather than combat the disparate harms of structural racism evident through this pandemic. I wrote, this paragraph feels mean-spirited and unnecessarily inflammatory. Many don't feel that being colorblind is a bad thing. Furthermore, it shouldn't infer that those who have distributed the vaccine based on age, including the hospital that I work on, work in, are racist. 
or are reinforcing racism. I just feel that the purpose of our group is to bring about real, effective, and compassionate change, and I think we can do it without sounding inflammatory or angry. I take my role on this committee seriously, and I just want to make sure our words line up with our heart and mission. With that being said, I respect and honor any differing opinions on this, and the remainder of this letter has many practical and effective suggestions. So if the majority of the group feels that this is an important letter to send as a message of solidarity for the cause, I will endorse it as well with no ill will or complaint. Thank you, Dr. John Clausen. So I hope this letter I sent was received in a friendly manner, at the same time bringing out an issue and putting honor at the forefront, both toward my fellow committee members and toward our governor and leaders. See, my friends, the word racist or racism is a sharp sword. And my concern is that our culture is swinging it around haphazardly and irresponsibly. Now, I understand that sometimes a sword is swung from pain or hurt. But usually it's done from just not knowing what else to do. And it can often be done just to try to get any opposition to back down. See, if you just swing the sword enough, you're bound to hit a real racist at some point. (laughs) And you can get people to back away, but it causes serious damage. And and here's the punchline. No real change and no lasting change. See, the goal is is to actually draw people in, to bring everyone to the table. And mean, angry, inflammatory, dishonoring language does just the opposite. And so the cycle continues. We continue to pit us against them. And it becomes this mentality, this mindset. And so even when this letter is sent to the governor, there's a, there's a paragraph in there that I believe is inflammatory and actually gets them to back down rather than gets them to come to the table and have a real discussion with people such as ourselves who want to bring real change. So I talked at length with my daughter about this, and it's amazing how wise a 16-year-old is. But we had this discussion, and she said that, Dad... The only real change can can occur in our hearts. And she couldn't be more right. You can never legislate change. Never legislate behavior. She and I talked about examining ourselves. Is there anything in us that would bring a prejudgment? Prejudgment is the word for prejudice. Is there any racial prejudice in us? Or did I raise my children with any prejudgment in them? And that we should allow, we talked about this last night, that we should allow the Holy Spirit to regularly examine ourselves. Because as Maggie put it, real change only occurs in our heart. So we have an opportunity when we, the words that we use and the way that we engage our culture So we have the opportunity to change our hearts, and we do that through prayer. We do that through the power of the Holy Spirit. We do that being open 
to allow the Holy Spirit to examine the things in our lives and in our backgrounds that may have influenced the way that we look at other people, other skin colors, other races, other people groups. We can change the way that we speak. And I invite you to go back and listen to these previous podcasts where I go into that into great detail. Because if we're all brown-skinned, then rather than using inflammatory words like white and black as being as opposite as can be, we simply say they're darker brown-skinned or lighter brown-skinned. But more importantly, we use the word Americans. I know that many of my listeners are outside of America but I want you to have a cultural, national viewpoint towards this, that we look at each other. And when our fellow citizens, our fellow Americans are hurting, that's when we move. That's when we act. And right now, there is no better time to move and act on behalf of our fellow citizens. But we can also change the way that we think. We can never legislate behavior, but we can change the way that we think. What's the word for change the way that we think? It's the word repentance. My pastor Penny from our local church just gave a wonderful message about repentance. And repentance is about thinking in a higher way. We don't repent from something. We repent to something. I love that. It's life-changing. We're repenting to a higher way of thinking. Where have we heard that before? Higher way. It's culture. It's heaven's culture. His ways are higher than our ways. So we can connect to heaven's culture. That is what we're after. And it occurs through repentance. So we can repent about the ways that we thought even about this issue before. And ask the Lord to say, ask the Lord to to change our way of thinking to his higher way of thinking where we're all brothers and sisters. (laughs) Doesn't that sound better? Isn't that the pathway to healing? I'm not being naive. These are baby steps, but they're steps. So we can change our hearts. We can change the way that we speak and we can change the way that we think. So let's go do that this week as we go together to set and shape the culture.